Are you a list maker? You know, the person who gets up early in the morning, pulls out the little sheet of paper and writes down all the things to do in the day. You prioritize them, the most important things up at the top. And, and you get, Did you get beat up a lot when you were a kid? I just need to know that too. No, no not at all. Or, or maybe you're a procrastinator. I mean, why do today what you can put off till tomorrow? You know, that, that's, a, that's a good motto. In fact, you might want to know that the Procrastinators Anonymous Club, um, of which I'm the president, we're going to meet tomorrow. But we were thinking about meeting today, but we decided to put it off yet one more day. So whether you are a little Mr. or Miss Efficiency, or someone who puts things off to the very last minute because they have to, there are some things that simply have to get done. You have to get your Christmas cards in the mail by the 22nd or the 23rd, if you're really risky, of December. It has to happen, right? Library books, 10 days, and those things have to be back, which I think there are some at my house that need to go back or the fines are going to be on them. Parking tickets. Parking tickets must be paid in 10 days, too, or the fine doubles, or so I'm told. I'm not sure about that. You know, taxes. They have to get in the mail by April the 15th. And in case you're wondering, there is a a post office right up by the airport that stays open late on that night. And so you can get in line with me. Some things you can put off. But some things have to be done at a certain time, don't they? I mean, when the dog needs to go out, the dog needs to go out. When a baby needs fed, it needs fed. And when it's opening day of football season, you'd better be in front of that television at 1 o'clock. Am I right, Frank? Yes, yeah, that's right. You've got to get there at a certain time. So procrastinators, you can put things off, but only so long. But there are those times, oh, those glorious times, when all you have to do is nothing at all. I mean, those are rare, aren't they? I mean, they're so, so rare. Even school kids have homework and sports and, and the friends to spend time with. And, and adults, you know, there are things to do, work to do, family that needs tending to, a sink that's clogged, a car that needs fixed. I mean, you, all these sorts of things that we have to do. And even when we go on vacation, you got to lug things to the beach and, and you got to make it to the dinner reservations or the, the tea time. I mean, even good things. You know, they kind of schedule your life. It's, it's the most rare thing, more rare than the dodo bird, to have some time that's not scheduled, to just do nothing. And I don't know if you ever get to do nothing, but nothing is a great thing to do. I, I imagine, well, what would you do if life was like TiVo, you know, and you had, um, you had the remote control, and you could pause, and, and, and everybody would stop everywhere. This all everything would stop. No, but it, and, but you could still move around. You could. What would you do? Well, I know what some of you would do. You'd go mow the grass, or do the dishes, or get caught up on all the things that you thought you were getting behind on. But you could just do nothing, couldn't you? This much I'm sure of. Whatever you chose to do, there would be somebody there who would say to you, "Why did you waste that time?" You had this moment where you could have done nothing or you could have done everything. Why did you waste it the way that you wasted it? You see, no matter how we spend our time, there's always someone there who thinks that we're wasting time. 
Such is the case with Jesus in the gospel this morning. There are some religious people who hang around him. They're called Pharisees. They're good people. They are. They go to synagogue every Saturday. They, um, they're very scrupulous about keeping the Ten Commandments. They have a kosher home. They read the Bible and they follow it, pardon the pun, religiously. They, they know exactly what God expects and they do it. They are the most Jewish of Jews. The most scrupulous people. They are very careful about the way that they spend their time. And they look at Jesus, and a lot of times, you might be surprised about this, they actually like what he does. They applaud him. When Jesus turns over the tables in the temple, let me tell you what, the Pharisees would have been right there cheering on. They would have been saying, you go, Jesus. That's, a, that's great. You are right on what you should be doing. And, and um, when he talked about resurrection, oh my, Pharisees would have been shouting like Pentecostals in a tent meeting. They would have been so happy. Yes, they believed in the resurrection. So much of what Jesus did would have been so affirmed. In fact, there were several Pharisees who became followers of Jesus. Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, St. Paul later on. Pharisees who saw in Jesus something very good. But there were other times when they looked at him. And they were just shaking their heads in disbelief at his behavior, the things that he was doing. And this is one of those times. uh, You know, why are you hanging out with these sorts of people? Jesus gathers together some friends. He sits down. He's telling some stories. He's teaching them. And suddenly, up comes um, a Pharisee or two. But then perhaps a prostitute and another A tax collector. Do you know that tax collectors were viewed as more immoral than prostitutes in the first century? They extorted money from their friends and gave it to the Romans and kept most of it for themselves. And here are prostitutes and tax gatherers, thieves, drunkards, all sorts of people that would have been the very riffraffs of society. And they come up and they start showing up to Jesus' teaching session. But instead of telling them, get out of here. You don't belong here. What does he say? Matthew, scoot over. Make room. Peter, move over. Let this person in. And this is the point that the Pharisees just cannot abide Jesus. What in the world are you doing? Why are you doing this? Why are you welcoming these people here? Why are you allowing them? Don't you know what kind of scum these people are? I wonder. I wonder. If we would be more like Pharisees today, or more like Jesus, if the same people were gathering around us. But I digress. Jesus says to the Pharisees, no, let them come. In fact, he says, let me tell you a couple stories. And he tells them stories that you're familiar with. One is a story of a lost sheep. The other, a story of a lost coin. In each story, something is, well, it's lost, right? And it has to be found. There's a a, a sense of importance about the lost item. This is an important coin. It's an important sheep. In fact, the shepherd leaves. He tells his sons probably, watch these 99 sheep. I've got one to go out and find. And he goes out and he finds it. The woman who searches all over the home until she finds her coin. But what you have to see in this story is the sense of urgency. The panic. The, oh my goodness, I have to find this. 
that is going on. You see, when the shepherd leaves, he hunts for the sheep because he has to find it quickly. If he doesn't find it, a wolf will find it. Or a lion will find it. Or a bear. Some predator is out there to destroy the sheep. And so the shepherd leaves his 99, goes searching for the one because he has to find it. It's urgent. It's important. The woman in the story, she has ten coins. She loses one. Some of you are like, nine coins, not so bad. Just give up on it. Move on. Lady, don't, don't cry over lost coin. Well, maybe she's poor, very poor, and this is the matter of eating, eating or not. But it's probably more than that. You see, women in the first century, when they were married, they would string together ten coins and put them in their, hair, in their head dressing. It was a sign that they were married. It was the rough equivalent of a wedding ring. She's not just lost a coin. She's lost her wedding ring. And she's desperate to find it. So she stays up late and lights a lamp and, and gets down on her hands and knees. She sweeps the floor. She is urgently hunting for this lost coin. There are a lot of other similarities between the stories. But there's this one that really sticks out. When the one who's lost something searches urgently, diligently, almost panic-like to find it, and then they find it, they are exceedingly happy. There's great joy. It's this cause for throwing a party. The sheep that was lost has been found. You can see the shepherd, can't you, walking home with his little lamb over his shoulders. And, and the son's, you know, dancing and, and shouting and happy that this shepherd has found the sheep. This woman who finds her coin and, and puts it back into its place on her, on her headdress, rejoicing and celebrating and calling her friends, look, my wedding ring has been lost and now I found it. There's a time for celebration and happiness. But these stories aren't about lost sheep or lost coins, are they? They're not about that at all. They're answering the question, Jesus, why do you keep company with these riffraffs and sinners? Why are you keeping company with these sorts of people? And you already know the answer, don't you? Because they're lost. And they're almost found. And when they are, there's going to be a lot of rejoicing in heaven that they've come back. That they've been found by God. That he's brought them back home. This is a time for rejoicing. And I think this story says to you and to me that God cares about us. That each one of us is valuable in His sight. So much so that He would tear up heaven and earth, as it were, to, to hunt us down, to find us, to pursue us when we go away. You know, if, if you ever met this guy named Dennis Kinlaw, oh, it would, be, it would just be a highlight of the, some of the people that you've ever met in your life. Dennis is um, he's about 90 years old. He, uh, he's, most of his life, he, he's been a, a Methodist minister. And for a little while, he was the president of Asbury College. Now, if you met him, you would, you would first be uh, just stunned by his joy and his laughter. He has, um, he's never lost his North Carolina accent, even though he went to Brandeis University and got a Ph.D. in Old Testament and Semitic languages. And so you hear this man who's this brilliant intellectual but he's also just this kind of down-home sort of country fellow. So he's, he's just a delight to meet. And on the few occasions that I've got to spend some time with him, when I'm there, I do what's very difficult for me. I, I don't talk and I listen. <laughs> and he has a lot of great things to say. 
And one time we were together, and, and I asked him a question I, about a book. I said, you know, Dr. Kinlaw, have you, have you read this book? This, somebody told me about this book. And they told me that it's a good book, that I really should read it. He, of course, had read the book. And he says to me, Joe, you know, um, if somebody tells you to read a book because it's a good book, tell them you don't have time. There are too many great books out there to read. Don't waste your time reading good books. Only read great books. We can waste time doing lots of things. But here is the miracle of this story. God is saying to us that pursuing the people that he loves, you and me and the other 6.7 billion people on the planet, is not a waste of his time. Amen.